Hey, welcome back to the pod. Thanks for joining us once again. We're going to dive straight in and talk straight about the game that we both want to talk about most this this time around, and that's Brighton 4, Chelsea 1. What an absolutely brilliant performance from Brighton, first of all. It was their first victory under Roberto De Zerbi since Graham Potter left to join Chelsea. And incidentally, it's Chelsea's first defeat under Potter as well. So almost like this game was meant to go this way, wasn't it? If not on the form books, then definitely with the way the stars just generally throw up these kind of fixtures. Hey, But um, yeah, Brighton, good for their win. Uh, Chelsea, are they actually going to put an end to their weird wing-back experiment now, Miles? Because that was a strange setup they started with, wasn't it, once again? It was odd. It was Potter trying to implement his Brighton philosophy against Brighton, who just looked far more assured tactically throughout the match. And yeah, Chelsea have got wing-backs when everyone is fit that are really, really good footballers and can do what Potter needs. They aren't Christian Pulisic and Raheem Sterling, though. So that was a very odd choice. But I think more credit should go to Brighton than criticism to Chelsea to start with. Yeah, what was it about Brighton, you think, that really took the game to Chelsea? Because I think right from the off, they looked hungry, didn't they? But was it just more, was it anything more than just raw hunger? I think their organisation in the press is so good and it forced a lot of errors from Chelsea's back line. They forced two own goals and we definitely saw the best and worst of Thiago Silva in this game as well. He was phenomenal at reading the game, as he always is, because he's an experienced pro and a very good centre-back. And he made two goal line clearances, which were just outstanding. But then was also giving the ball away very cheaply because that press was so intense that he just didn't look like he knew how to cope with that. The other thing that really is working for Brighton is Leandro Trossard. He's just phenomenal. And coming into a World Cup where... Eden Hazard is probably not Belgium's star player and star forward anymore. You actually think that he won't even get in the team with Trussard playing the way he is. His technical ability, his footwork, the way he took his goal was absolutely outstanding. The way Brighton worked as a unit moving forward was fantastic too. So they just looked like Brighton under Potter, weirdly, considering they were going up against him. I don't know if it was point to prove or just... This is a team that's better suited to that sort of style than Chelsea are right now. I think De Zerbi probably had uh, Potter's number from from the off because he's played a certain way, I think, in, in all his games so far. He's stuck to a pretty similar team in every game he's played in. Yeah. Not had the results that you'd uh, that he'd wanted. But then obviously he saw this game as an opportunity to yeah, out Potter, Graham Potter, and he did that really, didn't he? And I thought, like you say, with Trossard, his form at the moment is, is brilliant. And how many times, how many seasons have we talked about Brighton's lack of a goal-scoring threat? And now here he is with Danny Welbeck being absent from the team, being thrust into like the number nine position. Gets his yeah. seventh goal of the season so far. He's Amazing. probably up, up with Almiron, probably like the form player of the season so far, isn't he? Yeah, particularly at that sort of outside the top four, top six level, he's definitely standing out for me. And I'm not surprised by it. He's always been a very capable player. He's always been someone that looks like the star in that Brighton team. But just a few things hadn't quite clicked for him. I think he's got a lot more freedom this season. He kind of can play where he wants to play. Whereas last season, it was either playing around Neil Morpai or Alexis McAllister maybe took up some of the spots that he wanted to be in. But Trussard, he looks so fluid in that attacking line now. And it was one of those ones where once the first goal came, his confidence was there and he was able to just keep going. The way he controls the ball inside the box for his goal, that's a player with real confidence right now. And sometimes that's what it takes. We see the same with Almiron at Newcastle, although we're not going to talk about that game today, I hope. 
But Trossard is the same sort of level, you would say, but he's excelling because he's in a good system with a good manager and he's confident right now, just like Almiron at Newcastle. So, yeah, it's brilliant to see him playing well and no doubt he'll be a Chelsea player by the end of January. Do you know, I was thinking the exact same thing. He's the next one to be picked off, really, isn't he, surely? Because uh, Brighton have got uh, kind of an unwanted reputation now for selling on their biggest stars. And uh, he yeah. seems to be, if he has a good World Cup, the next one primed for that. Hopefully not, because he is is actually coming good in his career at Brighton. I think he owes him another season, at least, before he does move on, if that's the case. But that said, can we talk about Chelsea for a second and yeah. the, the wing-backs? Because Sterling and Pulisic at, at, at wing-back... They're never going to stay back, are they? That's the thing. They're just yeah. players that want to get forward. And with Sterling especially, who was bought as an attacking threat for Chelsea, mm -hmm. at a time when they didn't really have a clear out-and-out -out striker. So he's going to get forward. And they were exposed so many times at the back, weren't they? Especially in those wide areas. Yeah, and Potter admitted afterwards that he got it wrong. He tried something. It was a weird game to try it in. Because you know how organised Brighton are. So if you if you do make any mistakes tactically, they will expose that. So I thought it was odd to test that in this game. Although he's kind of looked at it previously. With Rhys James injured, he obviously has to solve that issue at right wing back. But I don't know. I worry about those two players anyway, regardless of what the system is. I mean, Sterling's goal output has been a lot lower than we would have anticipated it being. There's a lot of comments this yeah. weekend in the media, particularly. I think it was Pat Nevin came out and said that Raheem Sterling wouldn't even be on the in the England squad based on his current form. But obviously, there's a lot of goodwill there, so he definitely will be. But Christian Pulisic as well, I've got to say, it's so disappointing. He yeah. was so exciting at Dortmund. And I, I think he's been at Chelsea long enough now that we can say it's just not worked out. He's, yeah. he's had moments. He's definitely had moments and he's had games. But consistently, have we seen the Christian Pulisic we were expecting when that money, that big money move happened? I don't think we have. No. I think really it might be time for him to consider where whether Chelsea's the best home. And if they're trying to fit him in as a wing back, that to me screams he doesn't fit this system. He's not the current player for Chelsea. And that's not to say he's a bad player. It just maybe they should look to move him on and bring in someone that's more suited to Potter's philosophy. It's a shame, yeah. You're, like you say, he had such a, a bright start to his career. It's a high hope yeah. coming into the Premier League as well. But we'll see. I'm sure he'll flourish somewhere, if not at Chelsea. But with Chelsea, their top four hopes are still very much alive. I don't think they're, they're in danger of slipping out of contention, at least. And uh, Potter's had a decent start to his, his reign at Chelsea as well. He's still finding his feet quite clearly. It's not his players. It's not his system yet. So what can we read into this? Because I think it's fair to say from the United game, especially when it was a one-all draw, it kind of felt like results were starting to catch up with, with Chelsea. They've outplayed themselves a little bit. They've played better than their performances have deserved. But yeah. this is kind of a bit of a reality check now, isn't it? Where do you see Chelsea sort of like ploughing through these next few games before we get to the World Cup? Do you think they could finish this winter period on a high? It's difficult to say because I actually think Chelsea are the weirdest squad to judge right now because I would say that their success and their results has come from their manager rather than the playing staff more than any other team. I feel like their system is a better contributor towards their results than any of the players are really. Yeah. What Chelsea player is in form right now? Because I, I actually think if you look throughout their squad, you'd say Kepa has been in great form, although he, he, got, he got taken off at half-time in this game. Yeah, he? he's I injured as well, which is a shame because he's been playing pretty well. Because yeah. he's obviously coming to form. I think he had a 91% save percentage before this game, which is just phenomenal. But short of that, I don't know. I don't think anyone's clicked and, and stood no. out for me. 
recently. Kai Havertz has started to get a couple of goals, but I don't think he's as clinical as he should be by now. We talked about Sterling and Pulisic kind of struggling, maybe. They're missing Kante in the midfield. Maybe Kovacic is the only other player that you'd say has really performed. Yeah. And that is a big thing for Chelsea. They've been a team full of individual stars for a really long time. And Potter has obviously been brought in to build a team. And that's fantastic. And it's worked for him so far up until this game. But I would worry about the form of the individuals going into the World Cup. I think they do need to pick up a little bit on that. So I'm not sure how positively I expect them to finish. Yeah. Top four still very much on the cards, though, I think it's fair to say. But top four slipping very much away from Liverpool. And we say this every single week, don't we? They're now eight points adrift from the top four, but only five points, I think, away from the relegation zone. So interesting turnaround of of events again against Leeds, who have found their first win against Liverpool in any competition for for 21 years. So this is not a regular occurrence. Leeds just don't beat Liverpool in the modern football game. So what happened? Apart from the obvious glaring mistakes, how did Liverpool not pick it up and beat this Leeds team? It's ironic, isn't it? Four wins, four draws, four losses, but no hope for top four all of a sudden after 12 (laughs) games. A big one for them. And it's the same problem. The back four as well. That number sort of haunted them a little bit. Obviously, there were mistakes involved, but just the organisation and the confidence of that back line is so shot. Even Van Dijk. I mean, the first goal... All the attention will go to Gomez for the bad pass, maybe. Alisson, obviously, with the slip. For me, I watched that and thought, why is Van Dijk not on his heels? Because Rodrigo was. Yeah. The anticipation of Rodrigo to, to capitalise on that mistake relies on the fact that the defender doesn't track him. He lost his man completely. And if you watch it back, Van Dijk stood still watching. And Rodrigo is hot to it. So that, to me, screams of a lack of confidence, a lack of awareness, a lack of organisation in that back line. And then the second goal... Liverpool have to deal with that. There's just no energy. There's no intensity. They just let Leeds play around them, really. And that's worrying to me. Because you have to start to question now how Liverpool kick on from here without a complete rebuild. I wonder whether the success they've had over the last, what is it, six years under Jurgen Klopp has come to an end with this cycle and he has to be a bit more ruthless and look at where he moves players on brings new blood into this team and really injects some solidity into it again. Now, it looked like he'd started to do that already. He brought in Canate, and obviously we're waiting for him to really get a consistent run of games in that 11 because his injury problems have stopped that. He's obviously brought in Luis Diaz and Darwin Nunes up front, but the midfield's not been refreshed. They've really struggled to identify that. And it's a whole different job for Klopp now. He came in and built his own team Now he's got to fix his own team and we've never seen him do that. It didn't work for him at Dortmund. So can he turn it around at Liverpool? Well, he's a rarity in the game anyway because how many managers get a chance to rebuild a team? You usually get three, four-year cycles out of of managers and that's kind of Mm -hmm. it. So his situation is a very rare one. And he's yeah. never really had the chance to build rebuild a team anyway. He's already taken to, taken them to the highest of highs and then had that seven-year crash, as we know. And he's going through that with Liverpool. It's fascinating to see whether he'll want to stick it around because where else mm. does Klopp go to challenge himself now? He's kind of reached the mm. peak with Liverpool. He's kind of Liverpool through and through. I'd love mm. to see him try and see it through. I'm not sure mm. he thinks that finance financially viable for Liverpool to do. Um, and yeah. I think when you talk about the, the depth of their midfield, it does look like a big job all of a sudden, doesn't it? How much money does that midfield on, on, on its own need to get to where mm. it used to be? 
Well, a lot, particularly when you look at, they wanted Chouamene in the summer and he yeah. went to Real Madrid for what, 80 million? Yes. It was a very big fee. Yeah. They want Bellingham, but who doesn't? And I, I, I have a feeling that he'll end up at Man City now. We saw, did you see the footage of Agent Grealish in the Champions League? Yeah. Where everyone was posting videos saying it, he was asking him to go inside and talk to Pep. I don't know how true that is, but it wouldn't <laughs> surprise me if that's where he ended up. It's a big task for Liverpool. They they panicked at the end of the window and brought in Artur, who's... What can you say about <laughs> Artur? Obviously, we've not seen anything of him yet. And even when we did at Juventus, he, he didn't look the player we anticipated he would be at Barcelona. I wonder whether they might put a cheeky bit in for Frankie de Jong. With Barcelona failing to make the next stage of the Champions League, that will have financial implications. He's not played every game for Barcelona, particularly in midfield, all of a sudden. So I wonder whether they might be the next club to try and tempt them away. But it's not just the midfield. As much as you have to admire him, and we talk about it every single week, you have to admire him for his outlet. I wonder if it's time to move on from Trent at right back. That's not to say move him out of the team. They could find other ways to coach him and develop him. But if you're trying to get defensive solidity, you need to stop being so reliant on Jordan Henderson, who came on in this game. Not the player that you needed. Milner came on in this game. Probably time to move on from him as well. Van Dijk needs a settled partner. You imagine that would be Canate, but it's hard to judge that. So Joe Gomez, he's not the player that Liverpool need, let's be totally honest. And Trent isn't the defender they need. You could argue they might need to move on from Salah at some point soon. It's a massive, massive job. And the problem is... They've let a lot of those assets get to a point where they haven't got much resale value. They probably priced Salah out of a move elsewhere with that yeah. big contract. Trent, you could you would get a lot of money for, but surely you don't want to sell him. You just want to continue to coach him. And then everyone else, where do you get money from if you're Liverpool yeah. now? I think that's another uh, modern phenomenon as well. You don't see um, teams being rebuilt, rebuilt that often, really. So you don't mm-hmm. see... Um, players having that same hunger if they've won everything at one club to then do it again. You don't see Mm. dynasties happening where players do that. Liverpool have won pretty much everything, haven't they? Let's face it. Are any of those players hungry enough to want to do it again? Any of the ones that were there before? Mane was like, I want to do this somewhere else. That's Mm. what modern footballers do. Three-year cycles again, it's just what they do. So yeah, maybe it is time to move on players like Salah and get people in that are a lot more hungry because his salary must be doing something for his level of hunger as well. You hate to say it because he's a professional footballer, but surely what has he got to play for now? He's got his his career, his life has been made, he's won everything there is to win. So maybe that contract wasn't such a great idea for him after all. But I want to pick your brains on Leeds actually, instead of dwelling on Liverpool anymore. Now you did a short on the channel about Jesse Marsh uh, and about Leeds' situation at the moment. This was a really hungry performance. This didn't look like a team that was down in tools to get their manager out. This looked like a team very much fighting for their manager. What did you make of it and how do you read into this? We've seen it from Leeds a lot this season where they do have energy, they do have bite. And I don't think there's ever been an indication that they didn't appreciate Jesse Marsh as a coach. Just sadly, the results weren't following it. The last time they won a game was their win against Chelsea. So they obviously get up for the big occasions and they're obviously up for these big games. But... It's whether we can see that consistently from Leeds throughout the season. That will determine where they end up. The thing that I worry about with Leeds, and I, I mentioned it in the other video, is we're still not seeing goals from Patrick Bamford. Yeah, I don't know where goals really come from in this Leeds side. So they relied on a couple of 
shortcomings from Liverpool's defence in this game and they capitalised on those mistakes. Fantastic. Rodrigo is a, is a great player and I feel like he he's probably the key to Leeds' as attacking threat right now. Yeah. But on another day, they could have lost this game. Liverpool did have chances. Nunes had chances again. It's a difficult one to judge with Leeds. But the main thing is they got the three points and it did clearly mean a lot to them. And that will build confidence. We said that after they beat Chelsea, though, and then they went on to lose. They didn't win in six, I think, or eight. So it's difficult. I don't really know how to judge this Leeds side because they are so Jekyll and Hyde, it feels like. Well, I don't know. they're out of the bottom three. And I think that on, on its yeah. own is is kind of a real start of some kind of momentum you'd hope so I think Leeds are one of those teams that could find a rhythm with the right momentum mm. is the kind of coach isn't he Jesse March to ride kind of ride a wave of positivity so yeah. maybe it's a start of something Liverpool for the first time in 21 years winning against them is a big thing so we'll see how it plays out for them I think the biggest thing just to quickly go back to Liverpool is how much the World Cup break might actually benefit them because think? I think a lot of their players look shot of confidence in a Liverpool shirt right now. It's like they're almost expecting a bad defensive performance. So let's say Van Dijk goes away with Holland and they go far in the World Cup. What's that going to do for him when he comes back? Or Alisson? I mean, Alisson's been great all season, to be yeah. fair. So I don't want to level any criticism at him. Obviously, there was a bit of a mistake in this game, but it happens. But if Brazil, let's say, win the World Cup, he comes back a lot more... Um, like rejuvenated almost and feels that confidence back in him. So you never know. It might actually be good for them to not be Liverpool players for a few weeks and take a break because yeah. it's been intense for Liverpool. Very. Klopp's coaching is intense because he likes such an aggressive style of play. The amount of fixtures they've played has been intense. They've been within that group for a long time now. So a little break might actually benefit them. We might see Liverpool come back stronger after the World Cup and Salah and Diaz get a rest. So that might help too. Yeah, I think you're right. They just need a rest a lot of them do <laughs> um, moving on to the next kind of big comeback in the Premier League this weekend Tottenham mm. coming back from 2-0 down against Bournemouth away to win 3-2 and their late goal actually standing this time and like in the Champions <laughs> League midweek fixture Rodrigo Bentancur again up amongst it for Spurs right at the very end um, I mean Ant Antonio Conte will be thrilled with the manner of the victory and the fact that they came back mm. from 2-0 down but you won't want to be doing this every single game, will he? I mean, it's not it's not great for a Spurs team to have to dig themselves out of a situation like this. It's a team like Bournemouth. No disrespect to them at all. I, I just don't know what to make of Spurs right now, mm. to be honest. Because this game was the perfect depiction of what Spurs are this season. The first 45 minutes, they looked terrible. We can be totally honest. And then they came, they, they showed some fight and they showed an Antonio Conte spirit in the second half. So I don't know what Spurs' level is right now. Their Champions League group is a perfect indication of that. If they win this week, they top the group. If they lose, they go out. Mad. That's such a Spurs sort of situation right now. They're either brilliant or terrible or just kind of meh. And I, I don't think Spurs fans will be very happy with that. You know what kind of football you're getting when Antonio Conte comes in. And if that brings success, you can accept that. But... I saw a lot of Spurs fans questioning whether Conte was the right man yeah. this week. And that, that feels bizarre to say because he's such a brilliant coach and he will bring success wherever he goes. But that lack of consistency must be really frustrating. Yeah, I think so. I think if he was to look at the team he put out there as well, it was a fairly strong team. You know, Kane and Son over the last few games seem like they're being contained pretty well by the teams they're facing as well, which has to be a worry. He ha Surely yeah. he's got to do something different up front to make that spark reappear. You know, Richarlison seems like a spark. 
Kulisevsky is yeah. a huge miss, isn't he? One of those players just surely must kickstart their their attacking nature again because they didn't look up for it until their backs were against the wall, which again is not what you want. They're really missing Kulisevsky. Yeah. You can see that his his playmaking ability as well as his threat as an individual in terms of getting his own goals is so high. And actually, without him there, you're right. There's only a couple of things you've got to worry about. Son doesn't look in, in the best of form this season comparative to the last couple of years. And Kane's having to do a lot on his own. Kuluzeski definitely lightens that burden. So it seems harsh to be criticising them when they've won. But after watching the performance in the first 45, it doesn't even really feel like a win. This is a newly promoted side with a temporary manager in charge. Yeah. And they've scraped a win in the last minute really. So I'm reluctant to give them much praise based on that. You do need to come back. It's good that they've managed to do it, but they shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. Well, weirdly, we're, we're talking about Spurs like they're having a difficult season so far. They're very much in third place, which again yeah. feels, I don't know, strange, like it's not on I'm merit surprised. at all. It feels surprising to look at the table and see yeah. them so comfortable in third place. But you know, at this stage of the season, the table doesn't necessarily lie. So how long they can keep this kind of form going, We'll see, but it's catching up with them sometimes, isn't it? And uh, credit to Bournemouth, you know, they they played a system that really suited the the strength of their their striker Kiefer Moore, who scored two goals. I thought that was a real yeah. focal point for them, um, and they've looked a lot more confident now. They've really taken games by the scruff of the neck, and I think Bournemouth are a team where they've had a reputation being in the Premier League under Eddie Howe, especially of being no mugs. Really, they've took the game to the opposition, played pretty good football, and I think under Scott Parker, they were almost kind of put back in their place and were like, you're a promoted yeah. team. That's not what you're supposed to do. But it seems like yeah. that confidence has slowly come back under the uh, the interim coach, doesn't it? Yeah. And let's be totally honest. How many of us are predicting a towering Kiefer Moore header against England in the World Cup? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, Bournemouth are an interesting one. I think they would have been a lot of people's favourites for relegation when the season kicked off. And they, they showed some real fights since Parker left. Since that 9-0 loss, which is funny to mention they really have come back a lot stronger like you say and there are some good footballers in that side they will need to invest I I I wouldn't be surprised to see them getting dragged back into that conversation come the second half of the season I'll be totally honest and relying on a big man up front we've seen teams be successful with that we've seen Sean Dyche keep Burnley up with that many many times I don't know how much this Bournemouth side have and really if you're tuning up in a Premier League match you've got to win that game. Yeah. You have to at least see that game out for a draw, but you should be winning that game. And it could come back to bite them, really. Yeah. I think it's still anyone's game in that bottom 10, isn't it? And it only yeah. takes a blip to kind of be dragged back into it again. I mean, look at Leeds, look at Leicester. They've got themselves out of the relegation zone with just a couple of, of results. So, yeah, really, really tight. <laughs> really important that you keep your wits about you and get some results whenever the opportunity arises. So, yeah, difficult and interesting, I think, for any teams in and around there, including your boys Aston Villa. So I'm going to just talk very quickly about yeah, their defeat to Newcastle. So we've got Unai Emery coming in uh, for the next game. Um, yeah. I think um, Aaron Dankson did a great job in the first game, getting the best out of the team that he had. What yeah. did he struggle to do this time around? Come up against a very good coach. No, to be fair, because Thomas Frank is an excellent coach as well. Um, no, Newcastle are banging form mm. and have all the confidence in the world right now. And as soon as they got a lead just before half-time, the game was always going to go that way. It was fairly controlled in the first half. Could have been either way. And then as soon as the penalty happened, that was it. Obviously, Emmy Martinez getting an injury doesn't help Villa. 
but Newcastle has just been clinical. Callum Wilson is a fantastic striker. When he's fit, there's not much stopping him, and he's fit and firing right now. Like I said earlier, Almiron's at the height of his confidence and playing ability right now, and that really helps. They get the rub of the green with Joel Linton's goal where the ball just just drops to him, but they have to create that. And that quick-fire two goals like that just killed Villa. They, they had no clue how to deal with it. It shows the size of the task for Unai Emery right now. Yeah. Because it just it's so apparent what Villa are missing, and it's their two summer signings. But you shouldn't be so reliant on two players that haven't even had a chance to bed into your system yet. Once Bubakar Kamara and Diego Carlos come back in, this looks like a completely different Villa side. Yeah. They can be far more organised defensively in particular, where you don't have a game where you let four goals in. I'm not surprised we lost to Newcastle. I'll be totally honest. I'm, I'm definitely not surprised by it. I'm disappointed with the manner of the defeat. Yeah, But you have to just consider it a free hit until Emery's there, really. You've got to just wait now. And he doesn't have an easy start no. <laughs> at all. Well, I think we've seen in the last two games the best and the worst of Villa showcase yeah. back-to-back. I mean, the last week against Brentford, they were fantastic to watch and played some really good football. Yeah. Um, Attacking-wise, especially, it looked really good. And this time, they had no answer at all to Newcastle. So, he's got a lot to work with, Emery, but he's going to have to figure it out pretty quickly. And that's something Gerard never managed to do, really, did he? Yeah, and it's such a difficult time to come in because he's got five games where it's Man United twice, Liverpool, Spurs and Brighton who we've been talking about already, Liverpool are really fighting for something. And as much as we can criticise them, they're still one of the best teams in the league on their day. Tottenham, like you said, are third. So that's a good side. And Brighton have just beaten Chelsea and are really picking up rhythm. So it's a baptism of fire for Emery. And then he's not got long before the World Cup to try and just get Villa going. You don't want to go into that World Cup having lost the next five games, for example. That'd That'd be terrible. Yeah, Could happen. Yeah, it's not impossible to think that Villa will lose all five of those games. Wow. I really hope we don't. And there are definitely points to pick up. You have to hit Liverpool while they're vulnerable. We could beat Brighton. We should beat Brighton, yeah. really. We should be beating Brighton. But based on this season, can you can you say that that's true? Or is that just a paper game? Nothing's a and given. Spurs, Spurs uh, you can get at them. I'm quite confident we'll lose to Man United at the moment, though. I'll be totally honest. Yeah, I'll agree. <laughs> um, it's a lot for him to do. That's all I would say. Yeah. He's got to sort that defence out. And he's just lost his goalkeeping coach. Neil Cutler, the Villa have announced today that he he's going to leave the coach and stuff as well, which a lot of Villa fans are very, very disappointed by. I mean, you can see the work he's done with Emi Martinez and how much better a goalkeeper he is. Yeah. You argue he's one of the best in world football right now. I mean, this season it's been harder for him with a, a poor defence, but he's so brilliant. And Cutler has been... Fantastic at Villa. Done a lot for a long time. So it's a shame to see him go. Aaron Danks has been relieved of first team duties, but has been offered another role. I don't know what that means yet, whether mm-hmm. that he'll be one of the youth team coaches, who knows, but hopefully he can stay at the club. And Austin McPhee is the only man left standing, which a lot wow. of Villa fans are a bit disappointed by. So Unai Emery is going to bring in his own coaching staff. I have no doubt they will bring in a lot of his own players in January. I think he'll get big money to spend and he has to, yeah. has to be wise with it. Well, all change is the very definition of a clean slate for Villa, isn't it? And uh, yeah. I think the way the culture changed under Gerard, maybe that's not a bad thing, mate. Yeah, there's some players that Villa fans have already earmarked as well that will improve that playing squad. And whether Emery will go back to Villarreal and sign a few will be a, a big thing. I think the automatic one that everyone's assumed is, is Dan Juma will come back in. And that does help give us another spark. 
I don't know how many of Villa's forwards are Emery players. I think Leon Bailey definitely is. I think we could see a really good uptake from him. I think Buendia definitely is. But Watkins and Ings, I feel like Emery's answer to which one of those players up front is get rid of both and bring your own in, which I'd be disappointed to see. I'll be yeah. totally honest. You know how much I love Ollie Watkins. But right now, it's just neither of them look like the obvious choice at number nine. Yeah, And I, I feel like Emery's got so many things in his in tray when he joins. So it's going to be a busy few weeks. Well, if you want to check out Miles' short on Unai Emery, I'll put a link just on the screen just so you can check that out as well on what he will bring to this this Villa team. Uh, but moving on next, I'm going to talk about Arsenal. I can't believe we've we've sort of shoved them so far down the pecking order in our in our running order when they've won 5-0 against Nottingham yeah. Forest. Not only that, but the manner of the goals, the manner of the victory... Yeah. They somehow discovered Reese Nelson was one of their players and he scored a couple of goals as well. There's another great performance, wasn't it? It's becoming the norm now. And that's why it's far down the running order. Yeah. It's not a surprise that Arsenal have beaten Forest 5-0. It's a great result and I'm not taking anything away from it because they still have to go and do it. But this is what Arsenal are this season. I find it so funny because the narrative around Arsenal still in the media today, across other broadcasting channels, whatever, is still, oh yeah, but... Is it a problem that Jesus isn't scoring? Or, oh, but they did lose to PSV. Who cares? Jesus looks like a fantastic footballer. Whether he's putting the ball in the back of the net or not, they scored five this weekend. Doesn't matter. That's what you care about. And he's contributing to that massively. They lost to PSV, but it's a dead rubber. They already knew that they were going to get through. They didn't need to worry about that, really, did they? And, And this is what it's all about. The one concerning point, obviously, is Saka picking up an injury. And he's played... A lot of football yeah. for someone so young. But then you bring Reese Nelson in. And I, I'm i so happy to see Reese Nelson do well. Yeah. I've been an advocate of his for a very long time. I've always said I thought he would be the one to come through at Arsenal. And it just hasn't happened for him for some reason or another. So to see him take his chance, get two goals. I thought he took the first one really, really well, considering that his first effort didn't bounce in. So yeah. that second finish was brilliant. And then he's in the right place. He's putting himself forward in those attacking areas. And you saw what those goals meant to him. Yeah. That's really encouraging for him. I think not not just what it meant to him, but what it meant to Arteta to see him flourish as well. Yeah. And I don't think he sees it as some kind of justification for giving him a chance. I think he genuinely sees a player that everybody's been egging on and sort of willing to do well within the Arsenal Academy and, and outside of Arsenal as well. We knew he was a prospect. So yeah, hopefully this is the start of him integrating himself into this very young attacking, very exciting Arsenal team. And once again, some of the goals they scored, like they've got a real knack of playing through defences, haven't they? And Nottingham Forest weren't the best example of a defence. They no, still, they're, they're beginning to look like a team of strangers, uh, which they absolutely are. Um, but even so, they can only beat what's in front of them. And they did that so beautifully. It was great to watch. Yeah, and they have to be in the conversation now. Yeah. They're top of the league still. And this isn't... This isn't a couple of games in anymore. We are getting getting quite far through the season. We're nearly at the World Cup. And it's very possible that Arsenal will be top when the when the league breaks. Yeah. So when Liverpool are failing, Man United are in the middle of a rebuild, Tottenham are, are not where we thought they might be, Chelsea are having to start again. When Arsenal are our biggest challengers to, to Man City. 
And that's fantastic for them. And they deserve a lot of credit, which I don't think they're really getting, I'll be totally honest, for a team that's no, at the top of the league. I agree. And I think we're kind of living proof of that, shoving them this far down the pecking order. However, I think we've given Arsenal their dues this season. I think we've yeah. definitely given them the spotlight a lot more. Uh, a couple yeah. more teams, really, just uh, and results to worth mentioning before we wrap up, is both Manchester teams winning 1-0. Man City beating a very resolute Leicester defence, um, who have been on a decent run of form of late, 1-0, thanks to... A superb Kevin De Bruyne free kick. That was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, honestly, it's there's no end to his talent. His great. technical ability is just outstanding. I, I don't know what more we can say about De Bruyne anymore, but going into the World Cup, Belgium's hopes rest entirely on his shoulders right now. Lukaku's picked up another injury, so you don't know what their attacking lineup's going to be like. And we talked about Trossard being excellent, but my word, Kevin De Bruyne, he's... If it's not Haaland, he's the best footballer in the world yeah. right now, I think. I was thinking in terms of Ballon d'Or, I know it's a good year away before we talk about mm-hmm. that. And there's a World Cup to play in the middle of it. But yeah. he has to be, I mean, the, the kind of football he's playing, no game looks like a difficult game for him. Everything looks yeah. effortless. The kind of yeah. goals he's scoring. Um, I don't know how a player like him could ever go under the radar, but I feel like he has up until this season, which is mad. Like now he's just yeah. literally elevated himself, hasn't he? I do get what you mean. I think part of it is because he's in, in Man City's team. And Man City aren't a traditional powerhouse. They're not necessarily the most commercial team in the world. And obviously they're building something. But had De Bruyne been playing like this at Real Madrid, he'd have a Ballon d'Or by now, definitely. Because he'd also have about five Champions Leagues. And I think that's <laughs> another thing that probably held him back, along with being in Belgium's team when they've not really reached the heights that many people would have expected them to at times. So, yeah, like you say, when, when we think about next year's Ballon d'Or, it's always going to be shaped by the World Cup. It always is in a World Cup year. But the Bruyne has to be, be in, in the talk right now for Player of the Year because he's just he's phenomenal. Well, if he finished third this year, didn't he? Um, with that yeah. actually hitting the heights he's hitting now, then who knows? But yeah, phenomenal player. Great goal to settle a very tight game. And Marcus Rashford scoring a great header as well, actually, uh, yeah. to see United through with another 1-0 win. And uh, I'm sure Dave will have plenty to say about that when he, he comes back. But to wrap up, mate, yeah. I've not really given you the, the the chance to prepare for this. Have you got okay. any thoughts on who you'd have for the hero of the week? Yeah, and it's a bit of a sentimental one, really. But I'm going to go for Pablo Mari. Obviously, we've seen this horrible incident over in Milan at a supermarket where someone sadly lost their life as well. So our thoughts go out to everyone involved. But Pablo Mari, obviously on loan from Arsenal at Monza this season, and Arsenal gave a, a really touching tribute with his, his shirt after their first goal as well. So yeah, got to be our, our hero of the week today for putting up with what he's had to. It looks yeah. like he's going to be out of action for a couple of months physically, but you have to wonder what impact that has on him as a person. He gave a really strong statement afterwards, said he was doing well, he'd be back. He, he wanted to think about getting back into football as soon as possible. So yeah, yeah. everyone here on tour. He's, he's, he's very lucky and I'm sure he's counting his blessings and yeah, definitely give him the spotlight this week as our, as our hero of the week, deservedly. Anything else seems to pale in significance when you've been through something yeah. like that. In terms of villain of the week then, who's who's wound you up? I'm going to say anyone in football that's made this whole debate about Anthony's spin. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's a broad term, mainly Paul Scholes. He could be the face of it, let's say. But the, the talk of... of of how bad Anthony's tricks were in the Europa League and how pointless it was and how silly it was. Oh, come on. Can we just have a bit of fun? Why do we have to take everything so seriously? It's yeah. Look, I've seen Anthony do it a few times. It's really hard. It's quite impressive that he can do it. And actually, that pass that he makes, 
it was talked about like he hoofed the ball out for a throw in straight afterwards. It's the right ball. It's mistimed by this much. Yeah. And look, he's a Brazilian player. He's a Brazilian winger. That's the sort of thing you want to see in football. Something new, something innovative. It's quite interesting to watch. Anyone that's got a problem with it needs to get a grip, to be honest. I'm just happy to see opposition fans being wound up by things that United are doing again. It feels like we're, we're oh. being talked about once more. It's good. 100%. And actually, if it hadn't been the Pablo Mari, my hero would definitely be Lissandro Martinez because yeah. he is, let's just quickly shout him out. He's amazing, isn't he? Fantastic centre-back, passionate guy. He seems to have riled the entire Manchester United team up with him and he's just in everyone's faces. And for all the criticism he got when, they, when he was signed and, oh, he's too small for the Premier League, He's he's been the best centre back in the Premier League alongside Saliba this season, I'd say. Yeah, and and he managed to survive a whole game with Harry Maguire alongside him. Uh, so yeah, fair play. Yeah. He did all right. You actually didn't play too badly, did he? Yeah. And cleared one off the line for you. So who knows? <laughs> and finally, just to wrap up our goal of the week, then what are you deciding is the most superb effort this week? There were quite a few to, to pick from, really. I mean, Arsenal got five, and a lot of them could be in consideration. We talked about De Bruyne's free kick as well, but I am going to go with Trossard's just because his footwork was just outstanding. His composure in a big game against his old manager, against a big club, nothing seemed to phase him. And I just thought that ability to dribble through those players in, in, in a tight situation, really, against some experienced defenders... Yeah, I'm really enjoying watching him play at the moment. Yeah, hats off Leandro Trossard. Yeah, good setup of, uh, of goals as well. I was thinking De Bruyne's could have been up there as well, to be fair. So, yeah, of course. A few contenders. And that is it for this week's pod. Thank you for joining us. It's been another interesting Premier League week, as they always seem to be lately. The World Cup's creeping upon us, so please do hit subscribe if you want to see more World Cup content from us. We've got a few surprises coming your way if you are a subscriber. So please do hit that button. And thank you for listening to us once again. Miles, great to speak to you, mate. Yeah, definitely. Take care. See you soon.